for us. He's putting together something as we speak. Uh, Mike has a cold. He was planning to go see his sister, but she said, don't come because you got a cold. So it just so happened that where he wants to be and needs to be, he ended up with something else. So Mike's going to come, do his job, and not try not to spread the cold. So um, it's been an eventful morning already. So tell you what, start with <laughs> we'll start out with a prayer and we'll keep moving. Dear Lord, we come to you. Uh, quite frankly, we have no better place to go. There is no other place to go. We come to you for uh, with petitions for. Your help. We ask for your help for with, with Mitzi, with the uh, pneumonia that she has going on, and uh, to help to heal that. She's on antibiotics, but we'd like you to, to heal it. And Father, we also ask your prayers with Amy to keep her calm, to help uh, be with the medical team to assess what they need to do and help her out too. Father, we ask that you be with Mike O'Neill this morning, as we know he's going to deliver a message, which he had a very short time to prepare. Uh, you've prepared his heart for a long time, and his ability to speak too. We're thankful for that. Father, we know there's a, a gazillion things to pray for. Um, and we come to you with all of that, whatever's on our hearts. We know you already know. Father, we ask for your help. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. The kingdom. I don't know if the kingdom matches my shirt or not. The background. No, it's, purple. it's purple. I don't know what shirt. I don't know. Oh. I don't know if my shirt's blue or purple. I've never figured that out. It's blue. It's blue. There's stuff that looks different in the lighting of my house than it does here with the LEDs. I know there are different frequencies. Oh, do you? You argue about blue? I I, I know I'm colorblind to some extent, and I can't tell shades from shades. And uh, in the years that I've coached soccer, I've had two assistant coaches, two guys I worked with, who were colorblind, real colorblind, which is kind of odd. Um, but Nick and I coached. One time we had we had the watermelon team, and the other team was orange, or it was the other way around. These two shades were pretty stinking close to each other. Nick Dolby goes, if they're close enough I can see a face, I'm okay. If they're not, he says, if I'm yelling at the wrong kid, if I'm yelling at the wrong team, just let me know. So, all right, Nick, I'll try to. And, he, and, um, and, and later, he's a big sports nut, and I know they've had teams, they, they purposely make it's light versus dark, or, you know, or some kind of designation, but once in a while they'll have something goofed up, and he's like, so I'm sitting here watching football and it's gray versus gray, you know? <laughs> and you'll see it like on Twitter and stuff, people fussing about the same thing. It's gray versus gray. So it's a, it's a small disability to most of us and uh, sometimes it's a, it's a big deal. It's not a big deal today. Purple, blue, whatever color it is, Chuck chose it. I could say it's probably purple. It's purple on that screen. Eh. Yeah, that screen is true. Is that true? We've, I don't, I'm going to tell you we haven't calibrated any of those. Uh, we probably calibrated, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. we probably went through a calibration on, of some sort on that projector. But, you know, the projector's different. It's got to project white is essentially what it does, and it throws at 80 feet. So, whatever. We won't get into the science of light today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> 
Not as advertised, let's leave it that way. So, uh, we're in phase two of our class. I thought uh, I had to go, I was teaching in the other room with young adults last week. I uh, expect to be there again next week, so we'll give Chuck the heads up on that. Um, so I watched Chuck's video, watched part of that last, uh, this morning. What does Jesus say about his kingdom in the Gospels is where we're at. So I'm picking up in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, and I'll talk about one parable, basically. Parable of the unforgiving servant. You guys ever heard this story? You laugh, right? <laughs> Once or twice. You know, well, the parables, they're great, and you've heard, we've all heard them a gazillion times. It kind of starts out before the parable, Matthew 18, verses 21 through 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Is that a fair question? From the Jews' perspective, yeah. From the Jews perspective it's, it's fair. Yeah, you don't you don't understand. It, that's we've been there though, right? You've had people say, like, "How many times am I going to put up with this?" And I know we've been there. We've been to that 488 times. You know, ah, 489 is a little tough to do. So, um, you know, question's fair. It, it really is. How many times? Follows Jesus talking about sin throughout Matthew 18. I'll kind of back up just to set the stage because he's talking about sin through the whole whole chapter, verses five and six and around this stuff. I try to cut these out. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. And Chuck covered that last week. That was the end of his class. Uh, so to enter the kingdom of heaven, we've got to be like children. We've got to be humble, free of prejudice, free of anxiety, innocent. Right? That's what usually we see with little kids. So, but the world taints that. Yeah, they can scream and bite and kick and fuss. Uh, yeah. They put it behind them just in a heartbeat. Yeah, they don't just hold on to that. Sometimes. The older they get, uh, I know babies and little kids may sleep on their back flat out like this. Adults, you don't. You, you're, the world has changed this, you know. Uh, so what about a person who causes the loss of a soul? As he addresses there. How, what's their place in the kingdom of heaven? Outside. Outside. Outside of the kingdom of heaven, if you if you cause a loss of a soul, uh, you, you change this in people. You cause them to be caught in sin. It's outside, and it's so far outside. He describes it as the depth of the sea, with a millstone fastened around his neck. <laughs> you read that too. Okay. Wow. So that's just that's minor with stumble. Which is well, but the word was uh, it meant to entice away. Okay. As you to, to do wrong. In yeah. other words, you, you, did, you, you were doing wrong, and you sucked them in, and yeah. And, and you sucked them away from God because of, because you enticed them, because you told them what to do. You've sucked them away from God. You've hardened their hearts. 
But you're, I, I can see that, that you lure them away, basically. Well, when we see stumble, I say, oh, stumble. No, stumble in the original word meant this very strong word in the fact that you entice somebody away from being Christian, from being righteous towards God into, into a world where, you know, that's, that's what it's talking about. Yeah, you build a big enough case, people won't, they'll walk away. They'll start one step at a time, but it'll... Right. No, it's not. It's not offended. It's not. Yeah. It's you've led them away from. Yeah, that's what you had on there. You had scandaliza on there. Okay, that was it. The Greek words, and I know I get the advantage on Wednesday night. I'm sitting behind a computer, and I got one tab open. A lot of times with the interlinear Bible, and you look at some of those words, what they mean, or even the roots of where they came from. Man, it puts so much depth in some of these sentences. I mean, it is, every word is chosen. Now, you know what's God breathed? Don't lose sight of that. It's absolutely chosen. I, I'm, I'm amazed just sitting there and be able to, to look at that kind of thing live. So. I think that's why we have to be so careful about just studying from one version. Hmm? Because most versions, they're man influenced. Oh, yeah. You're right, and I, I have a tendency anymore to I use one version to tell the overall story. But if I wanted to, is exegesis the right word to really get into what you know three verses? If I wanted to just teach a lesson on these two verses, I'd be a total idiot to stay with one version. To look at the other ones would be the way. So we're not I'm trying not to get that deep on some of this stuff, but sometimes, sometimes. Verse 7 and 8, Matthew 18. Woe to the world for temptations. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. With an exclamation point. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one whom the temptation comes. Temptation is necessary, according to Jesus. Is that crazy? Why is it necessary? Why is temptation necessary? I'd be okay with no temptation personally. Well, I mean, it's kind of like temper and steel. You get stronger if you, yeah. if you overcome the temptation. I like that, the tempering of steel. You heat it up, um, carbon rich atmosphere or something like that, and it's quenched. It makes it stronger. That's part of the difference between steel and iron. And that's it. Um, it's going to happen anyways, you know. And it, and it develops our faith. It develops our, our character. Um, so it's there. It's there. Um, it's necessary to do that. We get stronger with that exercise, for lack of a better word. Maybe that's not even better. Yeah. You'd, Yeah, press them into service. If you sit there, you'll just atrophy if you don't. So I don't recommend going out looking for temptation. 
Okay. We'll try to speak up. That is the hardest part about this whole uh, auditorium thing. It, that is definitely the hardest part about it. Okay, add a verse 8. And if your hand or your foot cause you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. How does he say we should treat temptations that hinder our spiritual life? How should we treat people who lead us astray? And is there a difference between sinners and contaminators? I put them all up at the same time because they're going to intertwine anyways. Pick, choose, whatever. Yep, there you go. There is, there is a difference between sinners and contaminators. There you go. There you go. I've had stuff fall into my drink and I just pick it out and throw it away. I've had stuff, stuff get in my drink and you pour it out. So, I can understand that. Life's that way too. You have both in the church? Got both in my life. Okay. People who lead people astray, contaminators. I would call them that way. Contaminate that. Well, I think the first thing that you have to be able to do is learn to identify that, that it is that it is that, that sure. it's a temptation. Because sometimes it's really not. It's just, you know, I think of this as something really serious. Or reoccurring something that you're really having to address. Okay. Something that you reoccur, something that's serious, something that you've got to address more than one time. Something that can cause serious damage to your life. And maybe you got to look at where it's going to go to. Fair enough. Yeah, sinners a lot of times it's their own sin. Sometimes it's, uh, it affects others. Uh, but a contaminator causes others. It, like I say, it affects others. With the, yeah, with the church, we've got, you know, we're, we should welcome sinners. We should have, it should be dirty. You know, we should have dirty people walking in here. People have problems looking for salvation, looking for changed lives. Some things won't take, they'll take literally forever to fix, you know. Um, how much, um, I talked to some people about uh, Narcotics Anonymous one time, the groups that have that. And uh, although it's there to help people get out of narcotics abuse, they have a tendency to um, attract people who are predators and will actually bring drugs to the group or bring people to the drugs, uh, which is just absolutely crazy. Um, those people were contaminators. Yeah. The, the per overall purpose, you've ruined that by putting them, you know, breaking their streak, breaking their direction. So it takes, you know, that group doesn't have, it's not really a thing for somebody who's clean, you know, something like that. It's not something for somebody who's clean. It's somebody that's got a problem and you go. Church is that way too. 11 through 13, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels will always see my, the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does, not, he, does he not leave the ninety-nine to the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? So in the same chapter, Jesus also talks about the parable of the lost sheep. And this is how we should treat, and how we should treat sinners, to bring them 
to God. The effort that it takes, you know, like I said, there's a place for them, and that's a, it's a requirement. Certain 15 and 17, I think I lost something on that one. But if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along you that, with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So Jesus puts down these rules and procedure for correcting sin. Like I said, this whole chapter he talks about sin and dealing with it is really where he's at. So what's the goal of the plan overall? Bring people back. Restoration. Bring them back. That's the goal. The whole way through, the point is bringing back, bringing people back to Christ. No, it's not just, you know, I got that, I got a question on there, the same thing. Yeah, how long does this take? <laughs> you know, that may not the answer. Probably not the answer. Yeah, don't look at it that way, by any means. So. But the goal is restoration. The goal I've seen people look at it as a three-step process. Well, I'm sure that could be like that. Okay, all right, didn't listen yeah. to the first time. Let's go, let's add on to it. Yeah, bring Bring the hammer. <laughs> Which, their goal is to get rid of someone, not to uh, restore them to Christ. How does gossip affect the sinning brother? First step is go to them alone. How does gossip affect this whole plan? Being contaminated. Yeah, it contaminates, doesn't it? All of a sudden, all of a sudden there's, a new, there's a new element in there, right there. Yeah, the gossip can. Walls amongst the members when you do that. And so often, what happens is everybody talks about it and nobody goes and talks to the person for the fear of, well, what if I quote, offend that person? Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, the church is in a constant turmoil because it's not being dealt with at all. And that happens all the time. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Yeah, what if you offend that person? What if you, uh, yeah, a lot of stuff, there's a lot of reasons people. Talk about it rather than trying to address it. And it's well, oh, it's easy. not easy. That's not a just going to a person that's even your friend. It's it's nice if they will listen to you. And sometimes we predict what we think their reaction will be, and so we never do anything. And it probably just gets worse. And a lot of times, if you would go at the beginning, the problem would never become what it becomes. Right. And, and sometimes there are better people more equipped, you know, someone who's closer, someone who's got a, a soft heart, maybe more equipped, someone who's been through that before. Um, so. How long does it take? Like Chuck said, it's not a check, check, check. It may take a long time. It may take a long time. And I would, what if change doesn't happen? I think I got a question there. What if change doesn't happen? If we never see change, really want to it's a hard one. That's a hard one. It, yeah. Because, I mean, Paul does talk about it in some of his, where you, you have a man who's coming and he's married his wife. Or that's, it should be that. Or married his, married his mother. Mm-hmm. You, you, you need to get rid of those people. 
the level of contamination is usually the, the key. You know, like I said, does it take, some things will take a long time. Addiction is one of those things that will take a lifetime. The people I know who are uh, recovered alcoholics call themselves alcoholics. I've been, you know, and they might be dry for 20 years, but that's what they call it. And I, you know, that's just an easy one to hit addiction with that kind of thing. Um, but some things take a long, long time. And, uh, but the contamination level, that's a, that's a different thing of how do you know when to move, you know, how, where to. Alcohol, that's not just like when you're smoking. That's an addiction. I can believe that. That's why I said to quit. I've been trying for a long time, but I finally did it. Good, good. And but I, that's an addiction because my brother, my son, and his wife, they smoke constantly. You've been around. It's hard to get away from Okay. My problem is I don't go around it because they have to smoke outside because the little guy has Some people look at the beginning where it says, if your brother sins against you, and they look at this as steps for a private sin uh, for one reason or another. You know, you got drunk and you drove through my yard, uh, but you've done it every Friday night for the last six months, you know. Um, but it's more public, kind of fits in there too. Um, it's not just private sins. It's what the if it was just a private sin, like I say, it wouldn't affect the next step where you bring two others with you. And it's not an offense, because if it is that you offend me, then it's your opinion. You know, I mean, so people putting their money in four boxes back here. If you put money in the wrong box, you've offended somebody, right? You know, we have that dilemma here. Camille's a Tennessee girl, Grant is at the University of Alabama. Camille's taking a class at Florida State, so we're not really sure. And of course, Chuck taught Grant to say "Go Gators" when he's little, so we don't know which box to put it in without offending somebody, right? You know, so <laughs> that's a joke. But yeah, I mean, there's foods I can't eat, and sometimes people go over to over the top, and it's like, you know, I'm not offended that you're eating pork. I'm not offended that you're eating lettuce or banana. You know. As long as there's, you know, 
don't invite me to the house of bananas, because you know, but I can find something to eat anywhere, and I'm not offended by that. But some people are, you know, vegans. They just don't hate to call people out, but it's like a religion of their own sometimes. Steve and I went to a place to buy soap one time, um, Lush. And these girls ask us, what kind of soap you guys use? And we're like, I don't know, Lever 2000? And it's like, we, you thought we'd burn them, right? Because we had animal fat on our bodies. So, so we make sure we go back every Christmas just for fun. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's not just an offense. This is, a, this is sin. This is sin, and we're trying to correct it to get back with God. And at the end, like you said, let them be as a Gentile and a tax collector. And I've talked to Camille about this because I've, you know, my exposure to church is basically here. She grew up as an elder's daughter in a bigger church. What happens if you get to that point? You know, and why, at the point of disfellowshipping them, how do you save souls? And a per I'm also looking at the verb is a present tense. It's not something they did. It's something they're doing. Yeah. It sins against you, as I read it, is because you talk to them to get it stopped. Otherwise, it might have been a past tense, and they did it, and they're not doing it anymore. It's over. It's over. Yeah. The sin, so, the brother sinned against you would be different than the brother sinned. Yeah. I, I agree. I like that. I like that. And the, this fellowship thing. I think that's really the key. It's an ongoing. They don't intend to stop. Right. That's when they don't intend to stop and they're contaminating people. If you're going to restore them, somebody has to keep touching. Somebody still has to have that purpose of doing that. Still needs to, although they may not have a position in the, you know, in the assembly, may not be able to preach, teach, lead class, <coughs> serve in some of those capacities. Someone has to take it upon themselves to reach them just the same as the guy that walks in the door for the first time. Like the meal, I grew up in the church. Uh, elder's daughter, preacher's daughter. There was a lot more disfellowship in going on when I was younger. Well, it must have been a bad place. Then you see today, and when you do an in-depth study, you realize that perhaps that wasn't the right way to go, but it was a they used to say, the interpretation was, that it was a public sin. Yeah. It's not necessarily what, what this is saying. It's, you know, I'm not, I'm not judging any of them, but I also know nine times out of ten, you not only lost that person, but you lost their family oh. and their friends. For generations. And what is, I can't understand everything she said, so what's, this, what's the summary? They used to do a lot more disfellowshipping back in the time, but you lose the person, you lose your family, you may have years of effect like that. Well, but also, sometimes it wasn't always done. It was more of a retribution. We're going to teach you something. Rather yeah. than we really are caring about your soul. That's the whole, I think, to me, the whole thing here. You are caring about their soul. You love them. So therefore you want, you're praying, you're wanting, you're seeking what you're seeking to do, the, the thing that truly will bring us all back together in God's fold. So that has a lot, your whole act, of course Herbert always talked about attitude. If 
Yes, what's your attitude is, Right? One, one problem that we can't understand is, is how much the fellowship meant to those people. Yes. And, and they, were, they were close. Some, some of them, it, they'd already been kicked out of the Jewish families, and now this is all they have. Well, if, if they're put out of that, then they got nothing. Okay, so, yeah. so there was, there's a, a closeness and, and, the, and they depend on each other. Now you've got this person that they come to him and they say, we're, we're not gonna be, we don't wanna be around you anymore because of your influence or something. Well, it's, it's meant to, to wake them up and change their, their things so that they can stay in the fellowship. But nowadays, we wait so long that, that it doesn't mean anything to them because they're already gone. They already they walk out before you know, that's and, and, and they don't they don't feel the closeness and and the need to be in the in, in the church. I think he's really hit on something because some of the study I did about what was happening, they not only lost the fellowship of other Jews, but sometimes they were couldn't use whatever their trade was. In sure. Jews. They, they lost their families or they lost their trade. They weren't allowed to do that anymore. And so this became very important. What what my friend here at the church, you know, my fellowship here at the church would be. Yeah. So yeah, I, from what I understand, this is a really big one. It's a big one. It's, it's very it's good. Bigger than what we typically see. It. And uh, it's very costly. But that still the goal is restoration even through that. I even worshiped at a church one time where another church had disfellowshipped somebody, so they asked our congregation to also disfellowship them. And we said, how can you disfellowship someone when you're not even in fellowship? And they hadn't even gone to church for a year where they disfellowshipped them from. You know, it's like, it's strictly like you said, they were just checking off these boxes. Yeah, check off boxes. These, these, these boxes. A lot of times they were chosen at that point anyways. Yeah. I know, uh, I know most of them, you say growing up, there's people who were disfellowshipped and they still encourage them to come to worship. And that's just a, couldn't serve any, anyway. And it's a big deal. It's a big part of it. You're not going to find God if you're not going to. So verses 21 and 22, back to the original question. Chuck, we're actually going to get to that kingdom part. Right on the go. Yeah. Uh, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me that I forgive him? As, as many as seven times. So when the whole chapter is, the whole chapter is talking about sin, his question is... you got three, three minutes. you got three minutes. <laughs> Susan says she'd already heard this parable. Um, it's a fair question. Jesus has talked about sin and different ways to deal with sin. So he asks that question, how do I forgive someone? Um, why do you pick seven? The rabbis had like, their thing was they said forgive three times, not four, based on Amos 1 3. For three transgressions and trans. Anyways, yeah. Three transgressions? Yeah, transgressions. Of Damascus, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. That's where they came up with the number. That's where they came up with the number. And so Peter's being gracious. Ah, seven? And I know seven represents all. It's a man, it's a man and God combination thing. Complete. Completion. Completion. Yeah. So, anyways, we know that. Jesus said to him, 
I did not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some of your versions may say seven times seven. Um, completion, completion, all, you know, the numbers represent something, but it's totally. Uh, keep forgiving. Uh, should we keep a ledger? Should we keep a journal? Should we keep a burn book like the girls and mean girls? No? Ah, it takes all the fun out of it. How do we develop the spiritual resources to keep on forgiving? Realize that we need that constant forgiveness too. <laughs> wow, there we go. We need that constant forgiveness too. That's, that's the key. And that's, that leads right into the, the, the parable. Um, I will say it. Our place in the kingdom depends on our ability to forgive. That's the point of the, forgive, of the, the parable. And that's the point on that. We have to learn to forgive. Yeah, his model prayer is that uh, forgive as we've been forgiven. Realize that you've been forgiven of something you can't pay back. Pass that on. Sometimes I think that's one of the hardest. Forgiveness is tough. Matthew 18, 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. See, I said I would say it. I said kingdom of heaven, right? Today. <laughs> it's been said. That's what the class is about. Um, <laughs> believe it or not. So who does the king represent? It's God. God the Father, right? That's who it is. Who do the servants represent? It's us. Those who... Serve the, serve the king. Those who are in his kingdom. I like that. That's actually a better answer because they're not the outsiders. They're not the, you know, they're not the guys from China. These are the guys from, you know, geographically, you know, these are the people who serve the king. These are people in the kingdom. That's who the servants are. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and kids, and all that he had, and payment to be made. How much did the servant owe the king? 10,000 talents. I usually try to put that in today's dollars. I refuse to do that today. To give some idea what a colossal debt this was, the total tax income of the five provinces of Palestine, Judea, Perea, Idumea, Samaria, and Galilee, was only 800 talents. So the amount he owed was 10 times the national budget. That's a lot of money. All right? It's a measure of weight, and it can be a talent of silver, it can be a talent of gold. And 75 pounds of gold in today's number. A lot of, a lot of money. Yeah, is, it's in the billions of dollars in today's cash. I think, is it only in the millions? No, it's in billions. It's in trillions, yeah. I think you're right. I think it's in the trillions. I've heard it take a... Yeah, like this. I mean, this is seven times the national budget. Can you imagine, or ten times. Can you imagine owing somebody ten times the national budget? Eh, I'll pay it back. Can you pay it back? Come on. How many lifetimes would he need to live, right? He cannot pay this back. I've always wondered what he did to lose this money. He has nothing for it. Zero. You know, did he go to Vegas? He did the, uh, the red or black, put it on black, and it came up red. He lost it all. I t Camille and I, we started leaving deal or no deal on for the dog. And I like watching the numbers. It's like, I'll gamble with some money, but you know, give me the right amount of money. I don't care what the odds are. I'm taking the money. But it just, but anyway. 
you're not going to generate enough money. Sell the guy, sell his wife, sell his kids, sell his crib, sell his whip, his iPhone 15, his sneaker collection. You're not going to generate enough money to pay this debt back. Flat out. You know, take this whole thing, because I've already given you the background of it. Chuck will take it from there, and as long as you know, and I'm going I'm to go to the last slide, just give it away, because that's just where the mood I'm in today. I'm going to give it away. Boom. I'm going to ruin it. Chuck will have nothing to live for for the following week. I have sinned against Chuck, and he shall bring it to his friends. Chris, put this chip back on you. Write that in your burn book. Christians are often great sufferers for harboring malice. As a punishment, God withdraws the light of His countenance. They walk in darkness, cannot enjoy religion. Their conscience smites them; they are wretched. No man has ever did or ever can enjoy religion who did not, from his heart, forgive his brother his trespasses. One reason why Christians ever walk in darkness is there is some such duty neglected. They think they have been injured, and very possibly they may have been. They think that they are in the right, and possibly they are so. But mingled with the consciousness of this is an unforgiving spirit, and they cannot enjoy religion until it's subdued. It says Barron's commentary, but that's the guy's name. His name is, um, what is that guy's name? I don't know. That's not his name. I don't know what the typo fixed that for me on. No, it's not Barron's. What is that guy's name? Who knows? I'll send it to Chuck. Anyways, the, uh, I'd know it if I had. Um, anyways, I think this is very, very true. You can come on in. Come on. But that, that unforgiving spirit makes it easier to everything offends them. And they can't enjoy religion. It's a pain to them. So we'll leave it with that. Chuck will hit the kingdom of God with this parable next week. <laughs>